Welcome to the Escapist Corner. This is a podcast where we talk about lifestyle, sport, and entrepreneurship. We hope this can give you some inspiration to your daily life and also make you some good ideas um, based on where you are in your life. We're going to talk to uh, successful businessmen, coaches, sportsmen, athletes, doctors, what have you. Uh, please feel free to uh, look at our homepage, escapistcorner.com. There you find the, the links to Instagram and Facebook. Happy listening! Yeah, welcome to the Escapist Corner, ex-tubering um, business, maybe. <laughs> um, we're here recording on um, on uh, Chris's uh, beautiful devices since our devices just gave up. Uh, but that happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very delighted to have, have you on this podcast. We haven't been that regular this year with the podcast, um, yeah, true. but... Um, yeah. But we've been able to have very good guests at it. We can be able to talk to really nice people. So yeah, great. So happy to have you on board, Chris. Yeah, thank you very guys. much. For your time. So yeah, uh, I'm happy to be here. So for for people tuning in for the first time, uh, don't knowing anything about this this podcast and about Chris, um, we we tend to talk to people within the fitness industry or health industry and so on and. Um, it happens to be uh, that way that Chris uh, is one of the, uh, how I say, leading mentors out there in the fitness industry. And uh, he has a, uh, yeah, written a couple of books and he has uh, a lot of content on uh, like real content. We're not talking about uh, a picture of a shoe in a forest or something like that, but uh, actual knowledge uh, shared in text and uh, audio video so um yeah chris maybe you can do a short introduction uh where are you from and how did you come to fitness and where you are today wow that's a long uh that's a long story but um you know i started coaching in 1996 so this is my just starting my 23rd year as a coach Um, I opened a gym in 2005 because I thought the only way that I can make a decent living here is to own my own business. Um, That gym went great for about three years. And then I opened a second gym, which was a CrossFit gym, and that almost bankrupted me. Um, So I had two. One was feeding me, but the other one was sucking all the money that I had. Um, Came very close to bankruptcy, found a mentor, started turning things around. And everything that he was teaching me, I started publishing on a free blog called Mm -hmm. don'tbuyads.com. After three years of publishing every single day for free, I got invited to speak uh, in Fort Lauderdale and I compiled the best 15 blog posts from Don't Buy Ads, put them into a book because it was the cheapest way to put uh, these blog posts on paper. And that is the best-selling fitness business book of all time now with over 20,000 copies sold. And that was called Two Brain Business. It's been followed by two other books since, Two Brain Business 2.0 and Help First. And my new book, Founder, Farmer, Tinker, Thief, comes out in about a month, I hope. Oh, that's all amazing. Right. <clears throat> um, yeah, you buy that. Because bo- we both read uh, Two Brain Business. Yeah. Oh, great. It's Thanks. This year. Yeah. Uh, and pretty much a lot of inspiration, a lot of things that we tinkered uh, in our operation here at the box 
from cool. there. So it's a, yeah. it's a very, that's one of the reasons it's very nice to talk to people you read that you understand and you could just follow and say, okay, this, this guy's not what he's talking about. Yeah. And it's good. Yeah. And um, we, we took a lot of inspiration, uh, helped, uh, helped a lot with the business thinking, uh, like the, the practical things of running a box and uh, how to handle members, uh, count your revenue and so on. Uh, many things we, we kind of also had checked, uh, which was also, you know, you get this confirmation that, oh, we're not that stupid, maybe. So we, we, <laughs> we might uh, be on the right track. We might be on the right. <laughs> That's um, great. Still, still, we. I mean, we have a lot of things to do, and we now we're now one and a half years into business. We are uh, practically, uh, yeah, having this as almost like a full time job now. So uh, it's it's great, great in that sense, and starting to get more people on board. More, yeah, and the, the circle of. Uh, influenced people are, you know, it's expanding. So it's interesting. And, um, cool. Yeah. I, I just came, so I just came back from a flight from Copenhagen 30 minutes ago. And, uh, Great. um, I had, I went to this, uh, it was a conference with, uh, some luxury hotels, uh, that they have a group called the design hotels and they have a yearly, uh, or annual meeting, I would say it's more getting pissed and you know drunk and, <laughs> and have fun with with the crazy rich people. And um, I'm very uh, happy to be uh, invited to those things, but uh, they also inspire a lot. And uh, yeah, get me also you get the insight into other businesses, right? So cool. Uh, and I try to see and implement the things in the, those industries into what we're doing. And then I think that's also something we're going to turn back to um, as this discussion goes along. Um, but yeah, uh, so right now you're, you're writing on your book or is it already done? It's almost done. Um, so I have a much better editor. So the first three books were largely unedited. You know, they were edited by friends or not at all. And uh, I wrote the first book from kind of a place where I'll do anything to figure this out. You know, scrambling. I was in the founder phase myself. Yeah. The second book that I wrote, I, I mostly had the gym figured out. And I was um, mostly retired. I was mentoring gyms already. And that's more of a step-by-step, -step, here's how you do it. And I was really in the, probably the farmer phase myself then. And, and now looking back after speaking with, you know, 2000 gym owners in person, and we have 500 in our worldwide mentoring agency now, um, what we realize is like, you need different advice at different phases of your business. And, you know, advice is a lot like medicine, the wrong dosage at the wrong time can actually poison you. And so that's what we're trying to do. And um, because the book is so thick with that and because, you know, there's, there are overlaps between founder and farmer, um, my editor is, is taking a very long time, but I'm glad she's being thorough. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, but it, that's also, I would say, a sign of um, quality, right? Yeah. When you start to do that and, uh, you know, those things have a process and uh, it's not for any 
yeah, I always say it's not for a reason, but that, that editors are there. So, yeah. how you manage to do write a book? I guess it's not easy task. Uh, it takes a lot of time and sitting. And most of what I understand from writing is that you have to sit every day, and it's not that when you get inspired you just write. Am I correct with that? You have to write and then edit your writing. Where do you find time for mentoring, the gyms, writing, family, etc.? Well, I mean, I, I still wake up at 4 a.m. every day, and, and that's something I learned, you know, from being a trainer, being a coach. Um, but writing to me is a, it's a compulsion. I literally feel compelled to wake up and tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And so often what will happen is I, I'll read something online. Um, somebody will say, Hey, I've got 300 members, um, but I'm not making a profit. And this is really common. And so I'll wake up the next day and say, I have to write something about that. I have to get the truth out there. And a lot of that just comes from being so passionate about what our common mission is with owning a gym. So, so you guys have perspective. I think that gym ownership is one of the most noble professions out there around the world. There are thousands of us who have quit you know, better paying jobs to dedicate our lives to serving other people and improving their lives. And I think that's a noble cause. And I think that the least that I can do is to help you make that something that can last for 30 years. So, you know, there's never a morning where I say, oh, I've got to get up. What am I going to write about? Um, in fact, a lot of the times I'm I'm waking up at 1.30 and saying, I need to talk about this and making myself stay in bed until 4 a.m. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah uh, that's pretty different. Um, but yeah, you also have family, uh, yeah. right? Uh, and yeah, I have uh, two kids aged 14 and 10 and a wife of uh, 14 years. Yeah, okay. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, we Thank you. we both have two kids, and, uh, but they're in, a, in the age where, where you hope you could sleep till 4 Yeah, you could sleep a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, you know, I missed a lot of those, those days because I was working and, you know, yeah. there were, there were days where I would go three or four days in a row and I would be gone before they get up and home after they're in bed. And I don't want anybody else to ever have to go through that. And, um, that's part of the reason why I still, you know, produce content every single day. But it's know? also part of, a, I mean, that phase, I mean, you understand it's, it's, it's a, it's an investment you do. It never takes away time from your family. It's never good. But at one point, you are, you're able to just put the hours at the beginning, at least, at the beginning of your journey as an entrepreneur or, or gym owner, whatever it is, that you have to put those extra hours. And it's a great if you have the commitment or the backup from your family to just do it and, hey, go for it. Uh, we'll be here waiting and all good. Never for too long. I don't mean going out for a week. I just really hurt and not being able to see them and see changes and stuff like that. And they're very happy when they see you back in a way. But when they're, I mean, the, the, I would say the right of one is the right of all. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. And in the founder phase, an entrepreneur does need to work a lot. But what frequently happens is this martyrdom effect where we yeah. tell ourselves this is all I know, this is all I have, and I'm going to die in this gym if I have to. And my kids are going to see that sacrifice and they're going to appreciate it. And that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not true. 
you're taking time away from them. And so the, the goal of the founder phase is to get out of that phase as fast as you possibly can. Too many entrepreneurs live that life for 10 years and they're telling themselves a lie. And the reason that I'm so passionate about this topic is I was one of them. You know, I was, I told myself I am a hard worker and it, all I have to do is put my head down and keep grinding and this will eventually pay off. And that's not true. That's a very common message you get. Very common. I mean, hard work will pay off. Yeah, for sure. But what's the cost out of it? And the long, it should be not a long-term uh, arrangement or a long-term lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked we talked about uh, with people in, um, yeah, in, in venture, in uh, startups, you know, uh, that are looking for investors uh, for their second, third seed round and everything. And... Uh, it's the same thing if you have a tech company and and uh, you know this the the investor is asking the CEO. I think I heard this from the founder of um, of uh, I don't know if it was Skype or something. Um, uh, he said, "Yeah, you know, if I'm working 80 hours a week or 120 hours a week as a CEO, and then you, I'm going for an investor and the investor asks, how is the business going? It's like, yeah, you see the numbers are going like this and so on. And, but yeah, you're working 120 hours a week. Like, how sustainable is that? That's not sustainable. It's not, yeah. And, and so it, that's like a very bad investment. Um, I mean, obviously some companies still invest in that phase, but if you are, if you are the key person um, in that operation and for the company to make it successful by working 120 hours, maybe you have to reconsider and look at how you can break it down. And uh, yeah, I think the good thing that you have in your books for the entrepreneurs is, or for the gym owners is to, you know, set up processes and- The bus test. Yeah. Hit by uh, the bus, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah, the bus test, and I mean, and this is very common in in other industries already, uh, where you set up processes, right? So, you you can put anyone into that position. But um, this comes back to where I was now this weekend, and I can show you here in the in the picture if you can read that uh, the topic of the conference. silent knowledge. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So the question was. Um, how do you communicate uh, like values, culture um, that are not uh, possible to write, uh, be in written form? Um, mm. And and I think I think that's the uh, what what we experience also is that that's very hard to you can set up like checklists on how to do this 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 this, but. Uh, if there's not, you know, a, a driver behind the seat, uh, and you don't have that spark, uh, then then it's going to be hard. You you just have someone who's checking off the list. And uh, now in the hotel business, they're talking about like, okay, we we have to hire people without knowledge, because knowledge is is a commodity now. Mm-hmm. So, there was a speaker called Shell Nordström. He's from Sweden. He, he's a national economist. And um, he said, yeah, knowledge is dropping its value. So since 2006, the value of knowledge started to drop. And it's like, 
going so fast right now. So when you go, go out of college now somewhere, it's useless because that's not, um, it's a commodity and, and it can, anyone can find out things now because of internet. So uh, right now the companies are targeting to try to find the right type of uh, attitude, you know, a person with the right attitude and then, okay, we teach you. Uh, the processes, right? But first, you have to be this right, uh, the right type. And um, I wanted to bounce that back to you. Have you have you uh, any like good tips for people to find those kind of you know how how do you? Uh, I, I mean, in the CrossFit scene, maybe we mostly get it within our own walls, uh, but still, if we want to recruit new personnel, if you have two gyms and you have to find a new GM or, you know, a coach, uh, how do you find those in your opinion? Okay. So, uh, there's a process and I'll walk through it step by step. Um, but before I do, you know, entrepreneurship is cool now, right? Like, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk and Elon Musk, they, they paint this romantic picture of what entrepreneurship is going to be. And so that means every year there are, you know, dozens of books published on leadership and millions of blog posts and now a thousand podcasts and leadership boils down. There are only two words that matter. And those are follow me. And so you need to be a model for the other people in your organization of what you want them to do then you have to give them every opportunity to do it right. And that means writing it down yeah. to a level of granularity that you think is unnecessary. So, yeah. you know, we, we project knowledge onto people, right? We think everybody knows where to take the garbage. That's common sense, yeah. but there's no such thing. No. So <clears throat> now if we're careful about breaking that knowledge down, you're right. We can teach it to anyone. So when, when we're hiring new staff, we start with identifying personalities. So I can teach you how to bag up the garbage and how to take it out to the curb at night. I can't teach you how to show up on time. I can't teach you how to smile. And I can't teach you how to make people feel like you care about them. Yeah. So when we're hiring, we start from within and we say, who is the happiest, uh, best hugger in your gym? Let's start with them. And then we're going to run a course. Maybe it's like the catalyst leadership course, or we call it the advanced theory course once a year. And we say, if anybody would like to see what it's like to stand in front of a group and speak, you can take this course and it's free. And it doesn't mean that we're going to hire you, but it's just a chance to see what's on the other side of the clipboard. Hmm. And then from that course, we might identify a future coach. If that doesn't work, I'm going to ask my clients, if you weren't coming to this gym, who is the best coach in town? And then I'm going to approach that coach and say, maybe I can offer you a better opportunity than what you currently have. What's your perfect day? Yeah. And if that doesn't work, my third tier would be local colleges and universities, because, you know, again, we can hire for personality and just, we'll start with a blank slate. And my fourth tier would be to advertise and go through like a, the typical recruitment process of interviewing and hiring and, but usually it doesn't get that far. Yeah. So usually, yeah. So the, at the end of it, you just go back to the fact that 
the fit of the person is what really matters, right? So you, we, we want to do the cultural fit. Do they, do they have some joy? You can, because you can teach how to, you can teach CrossFit. We're talking the size of fitness, right? You can teach them how to program. You can teach them movements or how to coach movements. But if they don't fit, they don't know, like I said, if they don't know how to smile, they don't know how to listen, they don't know how to read people, then you're lost. Could be the best athlete in the world, but he doesn't have those personal uh, characteristics. His, the, the people skills, he's gone. Doesn't work, right? Yeah, if you look at like who in history are the most successful fitness professionals, it is not the guy that can give you a spreadsheet on the force time curve, okay? It's <laughs> Suzanne Summers and Richard Simmons who could show up every single day and smile on camera for an hour, okay? Yeah. Because they made people feel, I can do this. And they made people want to exercise. And, um, you know, when I'm recruiting new coaches, I'm not looking for somebody that can like argue with me about wattage output on the thruster. I'm looking for somebody who can be happier than I am at 6 a.m. <laughs> and that's not hard to find. <laughs> no, you wake up at 4.30, it's good. Uh, yeah, 6.30 30 is already up. late. I wake up at four, but I don't talk to anybody for three hours, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I can delete all my angry typing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, regarding what you said, is this coolness of entrepreneurship at the moment. We see the Gary V's, we see Elon Musk, as you name. Do, we, do you think we are in this uh, survival bias? That people just look at the ones that are over the top, that they made it, and say, oh, but entrepreneurship is easy. Uh, and you can create a billion, billion euro company or a unicorn right away. I mean, you see all these guys, but you don't see the 99% of the people just fail in the road. How do you feel about that? Oh, I think that's a brilliant question. Yeah, it's a brilliant observation. Um, but it's that's what we need, right? Just like we need models of success, we need to see Rich Froning deadlifting 600 pounds and running a sub six minute mile to know that that's possible. We also need to see these unicorns um, and, and maybe that's what makes us make the leap because our mind does not tend, trend toward logical, it trends towards emotional. And so we see Elon Musk He's got billions of dollars. He's probably on the autism spectrum, but he's wearing a pair of jeans, you know, and, and he's got like, oh, I'm going to dig a tunnel now uh, to the airport instead of flying my helicopter. We need those guys. We need those guys to show us what's possible. Um, but once you get into it, the inspiration doesn't last long and you have to get down to work. And that's where we need tactics and mentors and coaches. But you're right. How do you get... Um... How hard was to, because you, t you tell the story in almost uh, in the book, you tell the story in almost every podcast that uh, you listen to, <laughs> sitting on the bench, wondering about what I'm going to do now. How hard is it to just, in a way, recognize your failures in entrepreneurship and say, I'm going to need help. I need someone to guide me. I need a mentor. How hard is that step? It's, it was very hard for me. I mean, I have a big ego. And for me to realize, like, I am not just going to figure this out. Um, it took near bankruptcy, you know, it, it took completely running out of options and ideas. Luckily, most entrepreneurs, they look for a mentor now very early. So they look at Richard Branson and say, that guy has a mentor. They look at Gary Vaynerchuk and say, that guy has a mentor. So they know that they should get a mentor and they should do it before um, it's too late. 
you know, five years ago when I was doing free calls with gym owners, a lot of them were in triage. They, they were panicking. This was their last resort. They were throwing me their lifeline. Yeah. Now, most of the time when I'm talking to an entrepreneur, they're not at that point yet. Uh, they've, they've reached balance. You know, they're, the business is treading water, but they're not making enough money. And sometimes they're, they're doing millions of dollars and they know they need a coach to take them to the next level too. So I think part of that is just, um, we're growing up, you know, the fitness industry is maturing and we realize looking at all these other industries, what are the commonalities? Uh, they have, they have mentors, you know? Yeah. Regarding the mentoring, you just focus on the fitness industry or you just expand it to different uh, industries? So we started, we started in the fitness industry, but quickly realized that the stuff that we're teaching is very relevant to the service industry. And so um, for a long time, we didn't focus on anyone outside the fitness industry. And 90% of our clients are still within the fitness industry. But what happened was people would listen to the podcast or they would see the book lying around in a gym and pick it up and read it and call me and say, you know, this would really apply to my law practice. You know, this would really apply to my, my Kumon, my, my education business. And so now we have clients who are bakers and chocolatiers and they own tire stores and they're fashion designers and, you know, they own education companies and they're dentists and attorneys and, um, so the, the new book, Founder, Farmer, Tinker, Thief, really is, is a lot more broad. Uh, there are a lot of examples in the book from the fitness industry because that's where I've spent the last 20 years of my life. Um, but there are also examples from people who own daycares, you know? I, I think, uh, I mean, you have a, it's good in that sense that you don't have, uh, you don't have a business called uh, the RX game or something like that. <laughs> or, <laughs> Um, so it's, uh, I mean, it's easy, easier to adapt to any new business. And I, and I truly see that too. I mean, mm -hmm. I was talking yesterday with, uh, some guys with, uh, you know, a boutique hotel in Mallorca and, uh, he said, yeah, like they, they try to, you know, they talk about loyal loyalty programs and stuff like that. And I said, um, but, and yeah, they have strategies like, yeah, we have, you know, 50 bucks that the, the front desk can pay any customer kind of buy a gift if he's angry or whatever. And kind of, if, if there's anything happening, they can always buy themselves out. Yeah. And I, and I said, well, one of the points and one of the, the things that it's not a commodity anymore is time. Right. So. Uh, why don't you uh, tell your staff if because if if it's a you know boutique hotel or whatever I don't see so many differences from a gym. And it's like hey, could you maybe buy that guy a coffee or you know something and have a five minute talk about why why his wife is not joining this trip as she's usually doing or whatever you know uh, connect with that person and uh, um, yeah so. I, I see how how many businesses could be um, imp implementing the same things. And also what I wanted to uh, bring up to you now also, and kind of a question, what could we learn from other industries, right? Yeah. Uh, we can look at the hospitality and industry. So where service is, you know, the key factor. And I see where, Where's the service in 
many of the, if we looked at CrossFit gyms, right? I, I had no doubt 80 or 90%, 95% of all CrossFit gyms have great personal persons behind them, the gyms. You get to know the owner is a great guy. He's devoting his life and everything for this, right? Yeah. And quit his, you know, better paying job to do this. That's right. And, but um, still at, I would say 90% of the gyms, when you go in, there's nobody there smiling saying, hi, can I, can I help you? Right. So um, how can we, I don't know, how can we help other business owners? And I think for ourselves also, how can we help ourselves to, to create better service as in the hospitality, where it's always someone there smiling and, you know, bringing you in. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, when I got into trouble in 2008, uh, there really wasn't anyone in the fitness industry, uh, who was doing things the way that I wanted to do it. Um, there was, you know, CrossFit HQ had put this guy on stage. He was from a martial arts background and he was telling people you need 30 people in every class. And he would email every day and they'd be just full of swear words and grammatical mistakes. And I said, look, I mean, if, if I've got to do, if I have to be like this to be successful, forget it, I'm done. So I started looking outside the fitness industry. And at the same time, also, we got rid of contracts at my gym. And my mentor said, you know, what you really want is retention. So who has the best retention in the world? And if you think about who is the best at behavioral change, it's like Alcoholics Anonymous. It's people who are doing drug rehab. And so the retention strategy that we teach in Two Brain actually comes from the drug rehab world. You know, it's, it's constant reinforcement. It's yeah. um, uh, like bright spots, you know? Yeah. So, um, and so now though, uh, I don't mean to say that gym owners are behind every other industry because in a lot of ways we're in front of them. Yeah. yeah. The, you know, the, the Facebook ad strategies that CrossFit gym owners use are way ahead of any Facebook ad strategies that anybody else in my city is using. So a few months ago, well, a, a year ago, I bought this building. It's 7,200 square feet and, and it's uh, to help local entrepreneurs turn our city's economy around. And it's yeah. called the workshop. And the first seminar we ever ran at the workshop was advanced Facebook ads setup. And so a dozen entrepreneurs come in and they own sewing companies and they own all these different businesses. And the first question anybody asks is what's a website. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, sometimes we as gym owners forget how far ahead we actually are in some areas. You know, but to your point, Rickard, we are way behind in other areas, like the hospitality industry. Yeah. And uh, I also see at the same time, like other, other industries would be envious of our problems. Sure. Right? So if you look at retail, the problem with retail now is that all the stores are dying. So if you look at central Manhattan now, there are empty slots. Yeah. Because there's nobody who wants to rent there because there's no people on the street that wants to go shop because now you do it online, right? Right. And um, so there's a prediction that 25% of all of you with malls will be closed down within uh, four years now. Wow. 
So, yeah. So that's a, that's a lot <clears throat> that's of people. A change of paradigm. Yeah, a change of paradigm. So now the, they are struggling with getting in front of the clients or the people. Like, okay, but nobody, you know, everyone is fatigued by Facebook and everything. You know, so how do you, do you get people now inside? Amazon is not reliable because now if you Google something and you get Amazon, Amazon is going to list their own product at the top, <laughs> five, ten products, right? So all these big brands are also now, you know, fighting to survive. Um, and this could be also an opportunity now for the gyms and the clubs, you know, where people actually come, interact. They have... Uh, if you're a gym owner, GM, or you know a coach, you're kind of also a mentor for your sure. student. So uh, suddenly, we are we are getting now at the front line of almost retail, as I see it. Uh, yeah, and and we're going to f we're going to face those same challenges that retail stores are facing with Amazon within two years. Yeah. So um, yesterday morning, I was. Um, I had a podcast scheduled with uh, a place in New Zealand. And before I did that, I got on my bicycle in my basement and I logged into Zwift and I rode an 18 mile course in Zwift with a friend in Russia and texted back and forth. And I did not do CrossFit that day, you know, and I was in my basement. I had a snack. I did the podcast. It was great. So the, the key is if you're a CrossFit gym that's focused on the meta experience, you know, how can I get my clients these results? Mm -hmm. And you meet four times a year with your clients and review their progress and review their goals and tell their story, you're going to be successful. If you're just selling access to group classes in a bricks and mortar building, you're going to be uh, in a lot of pain in the next two years. Yeah. So it's, I totally agree with you. I think it's more about this. Yeah, we we talk a lot about CrossFit, the community and the importance of it, building these relationships in between. But if you don't build a path for your members to grow, and if you don't show the changes, they can just do their thing at home. And it's like, what's the difference? Yeah. That's right. Um, we, we see this, like now you have, we have consu consumer brands here organizing group fitness things right because they need to get in front of people sure so what do they do they offer free training so they can sell their products now um but yeah, yeah so, so that's competition in the future uh like we have the big giants like adidas that are uh at, at right now in, in germany they're building their kind of uh you know uh sweet um places for for fitness you know where you can do everything yoga uh, you have uh, nutrition, you have uh, uh, like uh, a doctor outside looking at your values, you have wow. all these stuff, you know, and they're, they're like plunging with money and you go there and you have like 40 people in staff and there's one client in the room. So wow. that's how desperate they are to create a space where people can come and buy their shoes or, you know. Uh, create, feel, create community, create a brand engagement or fidelity to a brand. And yeah. that's something I think CrossFit has done pretty well. It's like the engagement that you have with the brand, with your own box, I think is, 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 yeah. is huge. You don't see much of it. I mean, like we always laugh about this. When people go to competitions or throwdowns and people are 
ready to jump into the floor if someone's getting hurt. Yeah. You never know who like, is competitor. Yeah, or... Shoes, t-shirt, my box, <laughs> my thing, ready to jump into. That's right. So I think it's, I'm showing I'm a, I'm a crossfitter. I'm a, I, I run this thing in my veins. I like it. Yeah. But um, where do you see that going? Because right now, um, I mean, we're many years behind in Europe from the US and Canada, I would say. But still, um, where is this going now? Because all the early adapters, uh, at least here right now, and probably in the States or a couple of years ago, were the fitness freaks already, right? Yeah. They were the guys that were like, oh, this workout just killing me. Yeah, that's great. And right now, the, the big market is guys that are like, hey, how can I just, my back hurts and I, I want to you know, be able to walk down the stairs without having a back pain. So where, um, I mean, CrossFit HQ now has pivoted there and done this change now, right? They want to go grow, 10x grow this business. Mm -hmm. um, but how, yeah, how does that change look like? Uh, well, I, I think the best thing that affiliate owners can do is get really good at telling stories. So if you look at CrossFit HQ over the last 18 years, what they've always done really well is, is media. You know, they've, and if you look at their Facebook page, this might've changed now, but a year ago, if you looked at their Facebook page, CrossFit was a media company, not a fitness yeah. company. Yeah. And, you know, at one time they had the biggest TV studio in Northern California. So what we need to do now is use the technology that's available to us to tell stories. So when you're having your, your client meeting every quarter, I would say, Rickard, are you completely satisfied with your progress at Catalyst? And if you said no, then I would give you a new prescription. Okay. If you said yes, though, I would say, I am so proud of you. I want to um, help other people. Will you share your story with them? And I would pull out my phone and hit record. Yeah. And it's literally that easy. And um, that, that storytelling is what bridges the gap for people between what is CrossFit and how is CrossFit going to solve my problem? Okay. Yeah. And, and I think this comes back to this, right? The silent knowledge. Sure. Yeah, thing. exactly. Is you can write testimonials, uh, I think, and you can say, but it's this, uh, when you see someone telling something, you can see if it's honest. Sure. And, and also if you connect with that person, right? So regarding these telling stories you were talking about, uh, how often you see that these very successful boxes that you check uh, are way more, are they gearing towards the path of general fitness or more performance fitness? Oh, general fitness. So our, our audience here and, and more, and you know, in a growing way in Germany, as Rickard said, like the early adopters are gone. So it's not that people are scared of CrossFit. It's just that people are not going to be interested in CrossFit for the sake of doing CrossFit. Mm -hmm. They want to know, is CrossFit going to help me lose weight? Yeah. Now, the three of us know that, but they don't. And so we need to tell stories that will um, let them know that CrossFit will help me lose weight and that CrossFit will help my bad back and that CrossFit will boost my confidence, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think this goes back to then uh, the passion of the of the gym right so if if you have a gym just for having a gym 
and you're not there for the sake of you know helping people uh, i think it will be very hard in the future um and i uh, yeah i i listened to a, a speech yesterday from uh, uh vladimir klichenko is a uh, yeah, heavyweight boxer yeah klichenko. yeah and um and yeah he, he said like the the most most uh important thing that he has you know learned from anything he's he's done now uh, especially with his boxing career is that you have to be obsessed with your what you're doing and i guess you kind of take that box with with the uh, waking up 1 1 30 a.m <laughs> wanted to to write yes read yeah to write yeah um have you seen this, all these changes? I mean, you've been involved in the CrossFit industry, fitness industry, and then CrossFit industry, 2006, right? Um, so years of owning a box. Have you seen the changes? Because my idea of my understanding is that at the beginning was, okay, personal trainers, I open a box because I want to coach people. I want to own my own space, right? right? How yeah. do you see that change now to uh, people just doing it for the business and how you see the other like, different paths do you see the big difference in the culture of a box or something like that? You see a thousand boxes I, I a see, year. I see one more person. Then that's the guy who wants to uh, train. He opens the box because he wants to train yeah. himself. So do you see this? I'm a trainer. I kind of know this. Or on the path of I just want to do this for the money. Mm. Or, well, I, I have never seen anyone who has said I want to do this for the money. Because if, if you're doing CrossFit for the money then go get a job driving an Uber and pay for a CrossFit membership somewhere. You know, you're going to make more money. Um, <laughs> I think at the end, that builds like the value of CrossFit, I guess. You have to be very crazy right. about it to just build it. Yeah. So, you know, we used to, before we would do a free call with anyone, I used to make them take a survey that was 60 questions. And the, the purpose of the survey was to get to know them, but really it was it was to um, filter out the people who just weren't willing to, to try, you know? And the last question was, if you won the lottery tomorrow, what would you do? And 96% of people who did that survey. So over 950 people said, I would go to my gym and coach. Yeah. If money was not a problem for me, I would go to my gym and coach. So that tells me everybody's in it for the right reasons, but the people back to your survivorship bias, the people who you start to see now are not the most passionate about fitness. It's the people who are able to last 10 years. You know, there's a, there's a big piece of attrition out there. Uh, and that, you know, the reason that I get a lot more attention than other people is because I've survived a lot more. I've made way more mistakes, you know? Um, and so more and more, the people who you see uh, are going, or the boxes that survive are going to be the ones who are good at business. Now that kind of, I wasn't totally, you know, okay with that until talking to guys at CrossFit HQ, like Greg and like Jeff Kane and Bruce Edwards. And really this is what is supposed to happen. The best boxes should get the best coaches and they should get the best clients. And if that means that the weak boxes have to fold for that to happen, that's okay because that's right. Uh, you know, those box owners, they will get hired by the better boxes and they can just be passionate coaches. Most of us, many of us opened up a gym to buy ourselves a job because we couldn't make enough money as a coach, but now we can, 
you know, if, if there's somebody that's great at business, they can pay me to be just be a great coach now. And that's okay. You know, and that's really what's happening in the U S right now is it, it's not that, um, boxes are growing at a faster rate or failing at a faster rate or, or de-affiliating. It's that these smaller boxes that aren't good at business are being absorbed by the boxes who are. Um, where I most of your mentoring, I guess, is in the States because it's the biggest market on the fitness industry. Yes yeah, no? probably it's, it is growing overseas. I mean, we have, we have a huge community in the UK. We have a big community in New Zealand. We're growing fast in Australia, um, Sweden, uh, you know, <laughs> almost half the boxes in Sweden are with two brain now and CrossFit has invited us to speak at affiliate gatherings in Germany, Italy, France, New Zealand, and Brazil. Yeah, I was I was having this question, uh, this this uh, thing, because I see the on the specialty courses of CrossFit. Has it ever happened, or has it crossed your mind to do like a two day seminar? I know you do it on as a two brain business, but do it as a officially CrossFit seminar. Um, these are the things. I mean, people can you can teach people how to do uh, run and eat well and gymnastics, but the business side of it, if you want to survive in the long term, this is a key component of it. Yes, it's good coaching. There was some con business content on, in there, right? Uh, on HQ with you. Yeah. With you, right? So the libertarian philosophy of HQ says that everybody should just figure it out for themselves. Yeah. Um, and I don't really believe that. And um, HQ has been generous enough to have me on their podcast a couple of times. There's about, if you search CrossFit Journal, Chris Cooper, you'll have at least 30 articles and videos from HQ. They send videographers to our seminars and our <laughs> summits. Um, there is not going to ever be a CrossFit business SME. Okay. Um, and that, you know, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to go any deeper into that because there has been an offer made both ways in the past mm. and uh, it, we're better off at the relationship as we have it now. Yeah. You're lucky enough to be twice on the podcast, more than 10,000 views each time. So it's, yeah. It's a, it's a way to spread the message also. Yeah. yeah I mean, they sell my book. They, um, they say on the podcast, you know, Chris Cooper knows how to run a CrossFit gym but they're not going to say this is the CrossFit business guy. That's never going to happen. And that's good. I don't want that. Yeah. Um, short question. Um, so where do you, where do you find your mentors? That's a great question. Um, you need different mentorship at different stages, right? And, and when I was really struggling, the mentorship that I needed was uh, his name is Dennis Turcott and he was all about organizational structure. There was no structure to my organization. I had to do everything and I was doing everything badly because my attention was so split up. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I needed an organizational guy. In 2016, I said to myself, I'm making more money than I need. Uh, I have all the time in the world. My gym is running great. I'm in good shape. I don't need to push this hard anymore. Why am I trying this hard? Why am I getting up at 4 a.m.? Mm -hmm. And literally the next thought to enter my mind was I need a different mentor now. And, um, so I, I kind of opened up my brain to, I'm going to find a new mentor. And I started looking and paying attention and looking for people who could get me to the next level. And I found Dan Martell and luckily Dan is a CrossFitter. And so I've spent the last two years traveling with Dan, studying with Dan, 
turning to Dan when I have these, these huge problems now, mm. um, you know, and will Dan be my mentor for life? No, I'll probably, uh, I'll probably need a different mentor at some level too. And, and that's okay, but I will always have a mentor. Yeah. It's always going into what's the goal? What's the, what's the process now? What does need to be fixed or not fixed, but what's the work where I put to work and then find a mentor that suits that uh, task or that goal, right? Yeah. And, you know, often, often it doesn't always seem like a perfect fit, you know, because the, the point of having a mentor is they, they are distant enough from you that they can say, here is what you actually need. And that's yeah. usually not what you think you need. So with my first mentor, I thought I needed marketing and sales training. And what I really needed was organizational structure. And when I met Dan, I thought, okay, I need to know, you know, how to spend my time. And what Dan really does for me is say, don't do these things. You know, I have a lot of opportunities now. People pitch me their products and stuff twice a week. And, and Dan's job is to say, focus on this one thing for the next quarter. Um, but I met Dan's mentor uh, at dinner in San Francisco two weeks ago, and she is very different from Dan. <laughs> you know, Dan is a huge guy. He's a powerful crossfitter. He's confident in front of a group, but he's not flamboyant. And his mentor comes in the room and she immediately takes control. <laughs> and she's telling a story about this jacket that she's wearing. And then she's telling a story about her new boyfriend. And, you know, she, she's very different. Mm. And so when you're considering finding a mentor, you have to kind of look at the lineage of that mentor and say, who is, who's their mentor? Who's mm. teaching them? You know? Yeah, no, I, I see this in, in, in many businesses also. And um, I think it's therefore also interesting to have the mentors if they're from other industries. So you can uh, kind of get this kind of 10, uh, was it 30,000 feet view? Uh, yeah, 30,000 feet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, w when I started with Dan's group, um, you know, I was making really good money, I thought, but everybody else in the group was earning between two and $5 million. So I was the low man on the pole. And you guys can guess what happened, right? A year later, I'm in the middle of that group. And, and that's what happens. And eventually, yeah. if I reach a point um, where I'm beyond that group, then I'm going to find a group and a mentor who works with people from five to $30 million, you know, because there's a different set of problems at every level. Yeah. Of course. Um, speaking of, um, uh, putting your time to stuff, I mean, wealth is obviously, um, can be money, but uh, for most people it's about time and how you spend it. So, um, I know you are uh, somewhat into ice hockey. Uh, <laughs> Deeply immersed. You talked about the CrossFitter who could walk out of the audience onto the competition floor. Well, I wear all my hockey equipment to every game I go to. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't. Um, so ice hockey uh, is how I serve. So yeah. wealth to me means that you have financial freedom. It means that you have time freedom. And it means that you have the ability to serve or create a legacy in your community. And the way that my wife and I serve is we sponsor a bunch of local kids to play hockey. Uh, we pay for their registration, we pay for their equipment, we take them to tournaments, and we donate about $30,000 a year to that. And the point really is just to show these kids like, um, 
you know, what, what is actually important in life. So I don't care if we ever win a single game. All I care about is that they like hockey more at the end of the season than they like at the beginning. Yeah. That's it. That is beautiful. Yeah, no, um, obviously also a, a former uh, hockey nerd, but um, um, so I, I, I tend to look at, stay up at night during uh, Christmas time watching the, the juniors play. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's highlight of year. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, Chris, I, I know you, you probably have a tight schedule as usually, but um, I wanted to take time to thank you again for, for your uh, time for your time for, uh, for this oh, anytime guys I, i'm really excited to um have our team in germany in november yeah. we're going to be at uh there's a big throwdown happening it's in a german throwdown in main i mind yeah. so we'll be there yeah. fantastic uh, for the for the meeting great yeah. one of one of our top mentors carl will be there speaking um and he'll have some other coaches with him too so uh you're going to love it i every affiliate owner should come and meet Carl and have a conversation with him. Yeah, I, I think so too, uh, especially the, and yeah, and all the German speaking coaches uh, and so on, I will also be there. So uh, I, I also know Carl from, from meeting him twice or so. So fantastic. It's going to be nice to see him. That's um, great. Yeah. Anything more you, you want to add? Uh, no, um, I think that's, uh, I have just one question. Um, you write books, you're a business mentor. Uh, and I would want to ask, what book are you reading at the moment? I'm always enlarging my book collection. Uh, several. So this, this is highly recommended, Never Lose a Customer Again. Um, and it's talking about the customer journey from the perspective of how does the customer change as they interact with your brand? Um, You know, most CrossFit gyms, the only time they ever ask a client's goals is the first time they meet them. And the way that we've kept people for 10 and even 14 years at Catalyst is regular meetings. You know, are you being successful? And if they're not, you change the prescription. Um, other books that I'm reading right now are, um, what have I got behind me? Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I haven't, then, I haven't read that, but I, I, I have it on my list. And just one book that definitely as a business owner, you should read. You have to. I mean, one is super difficult to find. I mean, there are thousands or hundreds of that you say, oh, I can take a piece of this. I can take a piece of that. But just one book that you say, you have to read this. Don't say to brain business. No, I won't. No, um, <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say the go-giver. I, th I think that um, the perspective in The Go-Giver serves as a foundation for all the tactical books. Perfect. So, thank you. Yeah. And yeah, that's, re that's required reading in, in the Two Brain Mentorship course. The other one is The Pumpkin Plan by Mike Michalowicz. Um, you need to know who your best clients are and what they want. So. Um, yeah, good. Good. Awesome. And, uh, I, Chris, this was awesome. I think... Or I hope that we will uh, reconnect. Uh, I have some uh, idea for a for a, a second uh, rendezvous uh, in the in the future. With, All right, uh, cool. And, and another topic to uh, dive into. So um, yeah. Um, but Great. until then.
for now. Thank you very much. Uh, oh, thanks, guys. It's, 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 always, it's always, always so hard to, uh, you don't know how to end the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't either. Don't worry no. about it. <laughs> thanks very much, guys. It's been a blast. And um, you guys had some really brilliant questions. So thank you for that. Yeah, Thank you, Chris. Knowledge. Thanks. All right. Take care. Good job.